0: Thanks, Ian. I'm just going to hunt for my little clicker around here somewhere. My, oh, look at this. Isn't that convenient? Well, um, again, uh, just as Ian did, I want to extend my welcome, uh, particularly for those who are visiting. It's great to have you here uh, tonight. Uh, tonight we kick off a brand new series uh, called Living as Foreigners as we make our way through the Epistle of 1 Peter, Uh, that we're going to spend a fair bit of time in um, basically almost towards Christmas. We've got a couple of little series in between, um, but we're going to be slowly working our way through uh, this letter um, because it is quite a profound letter when it comes to us understanding what it looks like uh, to operate uh, in times of pressure, in times of tension, in times of complexity with the kind of faith that has resolve, that has passion, that has purpose. Uh, And so even though today we're only looking at the first two verses, 1 Peter, um, this, uh, this book, this letter is jam-packed, uh, full of incredible revelation as to what it means to be faithful followers of Jesus uh, today. But I want to start by sharing a bit of a story with you. I, I don't know if you've, uh, I, I was chatting with Ian, there's, there's many, many of these moments, but the one that kind of sprang to mind as I was uh, considering this, there's these moments where suddenly you're under pressure and you forget something that is critically important. It's like suddenly there's like a pressure moment and it's something that you would usually just take for granted you just go about as part of everyday business suddenly you miss um, I, I remember early on when I was learning to drive a car, there was a, a particular hill um, near where I lived that was just, I suppose, it was a little bit notorious. It was certainly nerve-wracking. You would come down from where uh, my school, primary school was. I wasn't in primary school, but that's where it was. you come down this hill, and it was quite a steep hill, and when you got to the bottom, there was two lanes of traffic, uh, high-speed traffic, 100, that's 100, it wasn't 110, 100 um, across the road, and whenever you had to obviously make a right-hand Turn that involved crossing over these two like lines of traffic going this direction really quickly, this tiny little like medium strip to kind of hide behind before you could turn right. Now I'm sure you've been across these kind of situations many times if you're a driver before, but certainly as a learner driver, that is kind of the kind of moment that really freaks you out because you've essentially got these kind of missiles that are coming from your right-hand side. You know you've got to make it over that gap, and then you kind of got to stop in time, and then you've got to come from the left. Now, the other dynamic that was going on was the fact that I was learning how to drive in a manual car. Now, I, I recognize that that feels like that illustration is becoming more and more dated as time goes on because it feels like there's just so many less manual cars around than there used to be. Uh, but for me, I was in this tiny little Honda uh, Excel and, uh, and I was still learning how to use the clutch. Um, now uh, the thing is with the clutch is if you get it right and it becomes kind of instinct then all is fine. Uh, the problem becomes when you don't know how to use a clutch or maybe you don't know how to put uh, the car in the right gear for the particular situation. Now I came down this hill and as I was coming down this hill looking at uh, this road, my dad was in the, the, the passenger seat on the side. Uh, he was a great uh, driving coach I would say. I, I came down to the bottom and I could feel my nerves getting bigger and bigger. I was like, I've got to cross this line of traffic. And so I instinctively went to push the clutch in and put the gear shift into one. Because one is a good place to start when you are driving a manual car. It gives you that burst of acceleration that you need that all the other gears do not provide to the same extent Anyway, I went down there. I found myself getting so overwhelmed that I felt like I naturally put it in gear one. I waited for a car to pass. I saw a gap in the traffic. and I thought, here's the time. Here's the time when I go. And I go to to release the clutch slightly. I go to push down the accelerator. And what I was expecting was this burst of acceleration that you get from gear one. Little did I know I was in third gear, which changed everything. Right. If you've never driven a manual, this doesn't make sense to you. But if you were in third gear... And trying to start from scratch right the speed that you expect you do not get instead what you get is a puttering over the road and that's if you've got good clutch control right which I did not right so suddenly all this fear and anxiety. I was like, I should have known how to put it in first, but I put it in third. Which you know, why do they put them all so close to each other? But nevertheless, I start puttering over this road, and I immediately see my dad like tense like this because there's still cars coming, and we're just like, put, 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 put. and and there's this moment where it's just like, oh. Gosh! Like, how could I have missed something that was so critical for that moment? I'm never going to forget that moment. We fight these cars. To their credit, they slowed down to let me pass. Like, as in there, there was they. They slowed down as I putted across because there was no chance I was going to be moving that gear stick in the middle of the road, right? Because you know what's worse than third gear? No gear. All right. <laughs> so that was never going to happen. But I'm putting my way to the middle, and I got to the middle. And I remember my dad just kind of like heaving a sigh of relief. Right. And and to his credit, in that moment he didn't yell at me, he didn't say anything that was too kind of confronting. But there was these words where he's just like, Never forget first. Like no matter the pressure, never forget first because you don't want to be creeping over a highway. Now That's just a memory that I always remember, right? This moment where there was this overwhelming pressure and I forgot something critical. But we've all kind of got these things, whether in our workplace or whether in these sporting moments where we have to step up to the plate and there's all that pressure and we just forget the basics. Well, when it comes to this particular letter and and the context in which we find this letter, this was a letter written to a whole bunch of people who were under significant pressure, and there's always the risk that when we're under pressure, we forget the things that are so important. And so as we read these first couple of verses, what we're going to discover is that Peter, and the way that he goes about reminding these people of that, which is most important, is not only deeply pastoral and comforting, and with those words that don't yell, but are actually really like humble and kind and soft and gentle. We, we also see that it's actually critical in our lives that we have people to see things that we don't see when we're under pressure. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So if you've got your Bible, feel free to turn with me to 1 Peter. It's uh, toward the latter end of the New Testament. And tonight we're just going to be looking at verses 1 and 2. So let's unpack this. It says, as an introduction, Peter, uh, which is the author, <clears throat> Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect Exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithia, yeah, Sorry, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, you can probably understand why I only chose two verses because this thing is loaded with a whole bunch of well, what I would definitely call Christianese, right? I mean, you got your trinity kind of happening in there, but, you know, foreknowledge, sanctifying work, obedience, like this is a real kind of package here. But I do want to point out tonight, right, that we're not going to get caught up in theological discussions around this word election, to God's elect, okay? Passages like this, combining these words like election and foreknowledge, right, are these, are kind of become these kind of, hubbubs and and kind of rife for kind of theological assertions or ideas that actually completely separate it from the context of the day Um, and believe me I can promise you in this letter Peter's priority was not systematic theology okay in this letter that was not his priority he's not writing to this scattered group of people going oh this is the right thing to think and here is some theological assertions as we go through this letter what we're going to discover is this is a deeply pastoral hearted letter You see, this letter was written to Gentiles who were under persecution. So Gentiles, non-Jewish people who were under persecution. And they were scattered, as you can see by those names, they were scattered across an area known as Asia Minor. This is kind of north of where Jerusalem is and slightly to the east. Okay, And this was backwater country at the day, right? So, you know, you've got the hubbub of Jerusalem. Toward the kind of west, you've got places like Ephesus, these kind of important, rich kind of trade centres. But Asia Minor, this was kind of the back country, the far northeast. This was people who were on the margins and had actually escaped to the margins and were suffering hostility and harassment because they were Christians on the margins. I mean, we look like a a place like Galatia, right? We we have this book of Galatians. We're like, hey, fruit of the spirit. We love the book of Galatians. Galatians was like a backwater town, right? This was a a theologically conservative Jewish town that was ruled by our followers of primarily of Shammai, which was this kind of um, conservative theological kind of Jewish position who would not have welcomed early Christians, okay? They would have been like very much against the kind of freedom and liberation that Christians were experiencing. So you've got like places like Galatia. You've got Cappadocia. If you look historically at places like like Cappadocia this is a place of like this is the kubapedi of Asia Minor they literally had underground kind of tunnels and systems right in order to be hidden and in order to escape and if you look at ar- um, archaeological digs today they still exist in Cappadocia I mean it's looking far more beautiful now up on the surface but back in the day this was backwater country where you went to hide right Tunnels for seclusion and hiding. So when we're seeing this letter that's written to these people of these places, this is not like, hey, you know, you Christians on display. This is people who are suffering persecution. They're suffering harassment and hostility. And so for these people, these Gentiles, to follow Jesus came with no entitlements, right? No entitlements. Their voice was a marginalized voice and they had no power whatsoever okay they were just faithful foreigners in those place and so what Peter does through this letter is he speaks encouragement to those marginal places and says I see you and I have something for you now I want to acknowledge up top especially at the beginning of this series that it can actually be quite hard for us to identify with this letter and the target of this letter right You know, as Christians, we have tasted power throughout history um, in significant ways, Uh, and even with what might be considered the death of Christendom, right, which some people lament. It's like, oh, we used to have, Christians used to have all the power and all the voice and all that kind of position, right? Even with that, persecution in Australia for Christians is very minimal. You, You don't actually have to go very far Uh, internationally uh, or even in certain areas and discover that we are incredibly blessed as Christians. So it can be quite difficult for us to identify exactly with these people. But at the same time, nevertheless, there may be times in our lives where we still feel like foreigners, right, or people who are on the margins, okay? Sometimes it might be, for example, that we're the only Christian in our workplace, all right? And so we're the only Christian in our workplace and so it makes us feel like a foreigner in this kind of setting and it feels like maybe we're marginalized and maybe our voice isn't recognized in that regard. Um, You might be a young person who is seeking to be faithful to God but you feel like you're kind of a foreigner because you're operating within spaces where there's people who are older, who have more authority and so it feels like your voice is marginalized, right? You're kind of like a foreigner on the margins, Maybe you've had to change jobs or change schools or maybe you've just arrived in Alice Springs and this is like a massive like, shock to the system and suddenly you feel like a foreigner, right? And that initial position isn't kind of square in the middle where you used to be but rather you feel like you're on the margin. And so while we can't fully identify with the kind of persecution that these places were feeling, at the same time maybe it is that there's truth here for us today Because we've experienced those things from time to time. And if we have, if we have experienced what it feels like to be a foreigner on the margin, this is what verses 1 and 2 really speak to. In those times when we feel like foreigners, we need people to both see what we see and to see what we may not see. We need people, when we feel like foreigners, we need people who can see what we see, who can identify with where we are at and and, and say, I see what you see, I know what you're experiencing. But also we need people who see things that maybe we don't, because we're overwhelmed. We're sitting at at the bottom of that hill waiting to cross over the traffic and those very things that maybe we think we ought to know we forget because of that pressure. And that is exactly what Peter does here. I'm going to go through this passage again. This time it's in the New Living Translation. He says, This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ." May God give you more and more grace and peace. And so, again, once you start understanding who this letter was directed to, not your kind of top-tier Christians, but your backwater Christians under persecution, right, we start to see what Peter is doing here. He is first and foremost meeting the people where they are at, but also actually inviting them into something bigger than their circumstances. And again, this letter overall is deeply pastoral, in nature. And we see in Peter this kind of more tempered, wise apostle than this kind of instinctive disciple that we knew from his younger years. I mean, this was Peter, the one who would fight with the sword to protect his Christ when he was about to get arrested, right? But suddenly in this letter, he's bringing a very different emphasis, this slow, steady, faithful approach to these people in their circumstances. And essentially he's going, hey, I'm meeting you in the midst of your complexity and your pain and I'm going to invite you to see things that both you see and things that you don't see. I mean, you are got to be in complicated marriages with people who don't share the same values as you. Maybe you're going to be a slave under a master. What does faith look like expressed in that complex situation? These are the kind of things that Peter is going to speak to. And so he begins by highlighting two dynamics of play, one that they see and one that they may not see because of what they experienced, and both are equally important. And both tie these scattered, marginalized Christians into God's bigger story of faithfulness. And particularly at the beginning of this letter, there would have been two words, obviously it's a bit different in English to Greek, but there would have been two words or concepts that would have jumped out to them, and hopefully they will jump out to us today. And so the first one is just this awareness that they are living as foreigners, otherwise known as exiles. And this is an example of how Peter meets them where they're at. He's like, I see what you see. You see, sometimes when we're working with people, maybe who are feeling marginalized, maybe they're feeling discouraged, we're so busy wanting to encourage that we fail to stop and sit with people in the midst of their struggle. And this is what Peter is doing here. First and foremost, he's actually identifying their situation, the kind of pressures that they are under. Um, In in kind of uh, Bible college circles, we talk about a ministry of availability. That's what this is, a ministry of availability. The presence to just sit and listen. And what these people on the margins right from the get-go need to know, that their experience that they are going through will shape the expression of their faith. It will shape the expression of their faith. And so Peter specifically points out that they are living as foreigners in all these different places. And suddenly these people who may have felt like there was no one to speak to them, suddenly they're hearing from the Apostle Peter and saying, he understands where we are at. And yet at the same time, this phrase, you might say, actually taps into something else that is going on under the surface here as Peter actually ties their experience also with the story of Abraham. Now, remembering that these people are Gentiles. These guys aren't Jewish, right? So they don't necessarily have the same background and the story and the understanding of of God's bigger story that they're a part of. And yet Peter, who is Jewish, is actually inviting them into that bigger story. You see, there was somebody else that God had worked with who felt like a foreigner before, and that was Abraham. Abraham. In Genesis 23, verse 4, after Sarah had died, it says that Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I'm a foreigner and stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. Which I know feels a little bit kind of like sad kind of reference, right? But this was picking up on the fact that Abraham's story, that is the father of the faith, right, had existed as a foreigner, right? That was his experience, and yet God chose to use him for phenomenal purposes, remembering that Abrahamic promise was, I will make you into a nation as numerous as the stars, and all other nations will be blessed through you. And so suddenly you've got these people who are feeling discouraged and they're marginalized on the the outskirts, the backwater places, And, and Peter in his pastoral heart is saying, I know where you are. I know what you must be experiencing. And don't worry, God has worked with people in your situation before. And not just a foreigner, but the foreigner, Abraham. And so he invites them to be part of the promise and the mission that God established when he first built a people. This right here is Peter meeting them where they're at. This is a ministry of availability. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The second thing that jumps out or would have jumped out from this passage is this word here or, or this concept here, God's chosen people, otherwise translated as elect. And so while Peter meets them where they're at and says, I know that you're foreigners. I know you must feel discouraged. I know you're on the margins. He also actually inspires them to see something that perhaps in the midst of their pain they had forgotten. And that is that they are chosen people you see while ministry of availability is essential there are also times to open people's minds to help them to think differently to see things that they may not see in my role but i'm sure in in many people's roles across the life of this church we sit with people in the midst of their pain and we know how pain can cloud people's perspective on themselves on others we know this right And so this is what Peter is doing. He's saying, I'm going to meet you where you're at. I'm going to sit beside you, but I'm also going to open your eyes to see something that you may have lost sight of. And we call this ministry of introduction. We're going to introduce you to something,
1: something really, really important. And suddenly Peter offers this avenue toward hope and possibility.
0: See, while these people from Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia and Pontus, they may feel like they're on the margins. They need to know that they have not been decommissioned in God's eyes because that's a temptation, right? We've been pushed to the side. we become exiles. We're foreigners out here. And so it sometimes feels like when we are alone and isolated, it's almost like God's calling and commission for ourselves kind of fades with it. And yet what Peter is saying is, no, there is something that God has for you here as well the mission, the promise, the opportunity for kingdom impact is still present, even though it may look different to what it looked like down in Jerusalem, in the south, where, you know, the Apostle James was doing his leadership thing. It might look different in the west of Asia Minor, where, where John is doing his stuff in Ephesus. Like, we know about and highlight these places, and the people of the day would have been familiar with them too. And there's this risk of going, well, that's where God is at work. That's where God's going to build his church. That's where there's going to be a difference. And yet at the same time, we've got Peter mixing with these marginalized groups and saying, no, 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 the commission has not been lost. In fact, you are still God's chosen people. And again, tapping into a concept from Abraham, which is deeply profound. In verse 18 and 19 of chapter 18 in Genesis, it says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring
1: about for Abraham what he has promised him. And again, we can't underestimate the power of knowing that we are
0: chosen. You know, if I feel, if I get the opportunity to say, share a message at a conference, it makes me feel good, it makes me feel like I've got something to offer, right? That's a good feeling, right? We get chosen for a workplace opportunity and we feel good. We're like, I'm glad I was chosen. It's okay to feel good about these things. We're chosen for a sporting team. It makes us feel good because that feeling of being chosen and recognized and acknowledged is something that we deeply need. And all the more for people who are scattered, faithful followers of Jesus under persecution on the margins, being reminded that they are still
1: God's chosen people. These Gentiles are still sons and daughters of Abraham. And Peter once again moves this displaced group of people to the center of God's story. It's like the person who was the foreigner was also chosen, and he would become a nation that would bless nations. And this is the kind of hope that Peter wanted to point out and actually share into the heart of his hearers. You are not second tier. You are not the B team, right? You are carriers of the promise. So right from these early verses, we've got this dynamic. You are foreigners. You are in exile. But you are also the elect. You are also the chosen ones. And there's this dynamic that exists right there at
0: the forefront. Peter meeting people where they're at and calling them to something that they may have forgotten because when we find ourselves in these points of pressure we need people who see what we see and people who see things that we may not see
1: so naturally when you understand this dynamic between the the exile and the chosen, it flows into the latter half of, of, the, of the greeting, of course. You know God the
0: Father knew you and chose you long ago. His Spirit has made you holy. You have obeyed Him and been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You've got this kind of triune statement there. You're chosen. You're being worked on. You're called to obedience. Again, this combination of who you are and what you are called to do. But I do wonder tonight, even
1: as we gather here, or maybe you're joining us online which of these two characteristics do you need to be reminded of more tonight? Do you need to be reminded that God meets you in these
0: foreign ex, um, exile marginal spaces? Do you need to be reminded that in these places where you feel like you're alone or you're kind of the B team? or like, Do you need to be reminded that God meets you there and sees you there and knows you're
1: there and still cares? Or well, do you need to be reminded tonight that you are a chosen person, that you are the elect,
0: that God has commissioned you with a promise, a promise that began millennia ago in Abraham, and that you are carriers of that promise. And, and if there's a kind of a fire that has been, has been quashed because of circumstances, that needs to be rekindled. You need to be reminded that wherever you are, God wants to use you for a purpose. We
1: need both these things. So which one is it for you? Do you need that ministry of availability or do you need to receive that ministry of introduction? And so to wrap up, just in these first two verses, in his introduction, Peter, in his pastoral heart and wisdom, expresses both ministry of availability and ministry of introduction. He identifies their circumstances, I see what you see, but also the opportunity, I see what you may not. Can you understand what a gift this letter would become to those people? Can you understand how significant this letter would have been to receive for them? They were both a chosen people, living as foreigners. And they were both the elect and they were in exile. And again, Christians, at times, we may feel like foreigners on the margins. We
0: may not be experiencing what these guys were experiencing. It's not a fair comparison, right? It's got to be honest about that. But it doesn't mean that that truth does not resonate
1: with us in our circumstances today. This may be a message for you if you are feeling that. But it also may be a message that God is calling you, like Peter, to pass on to someone else who desperately needs it. And I don't want us to forget that too. It may be for us, and if it is, excellent. God's grace, right? To be reminded, I'm elect and I'm in exile. But it may just be that there's a Christian or someone who's in Alice Springs, or they might be interstate, they might be across the world,
0: who you are being called, like Peter, to remind that you
1: see what they see, but also maybe remind them of something that they have forgotten. And so I hope that as we continue through this letter, this will not just become good information, but that you will allow it to speak both to you and to somebody else's marginal experiences too. So let me pray. Jesus... um, to kind of just scratch the surface of this letter that we're going to be exploring over a fair while, but I want to pray that you would um, you would speak, that you would reveal what we need to be reminded of. Uh, God, if we're feeling marginalized within a particular area of life, I, I want to thank you that you remind us that you see us. that you meet us there. that that experience will shape how we um, express our faith. God, thank you that you don't expect us to be cookie cutters cookie-cutter Christians experiencing all the same thing in all the same circumstances, but rather you make yourself available to speak, to teach, to comfort. And I want to pray also, Lord, for, for those of us maybe here who have forgotten that important reminder that we are chosen people. And we don't do that to to puff ourselves up and to become proud, but simply to be reminded that
0: that, with that call comes responsibility. It comes power and opportunity
1: to extend your kingdom, to bring about change even from those marginal places. Thank you that you can use the one like Abraham to build a nation, just as you can use the one in those marginal spaces to bring about your kingdom impact. And so, God, may that be our prayer for feeling that right now in our workplace or in our family or wherever it may be, that you can still and do still use us. Help that truth to sink in. And Lord, if there is someone that we need to share this with, someone we need to remind, may we be courageous and faithful and pastoral in how we go about sharing that. For your glory, for your people, for your kingdom, Amen.